I was invited to participate in Podcast Row, an initiative partnering up-and-coming entrepreneurs and brands with top business and peak performance podcasters, that's me, for networking, podcast interviews, and content creation. And Leadership in the Environment guest, recent guest Jeremy Ryan Slate was also part of it. And also James Altucher not only participated, but he was one of the main planners. Running into him there is how he came to be a guest on this podcast a couple weeks ago. And we recorded at Stand Up New York, I guess a stand-up club where James Altucher, he's a co-owner, and actually he treated us to some of his stand-up. I'm sorry I didn't record that. Anyway, the next seven episodes bring the seven up-and-coming entrepreneurs, friends of James Altucher, and various people who were participating. Now, because we recorded back-to-back, the recordings had to be under 30 minutes, so I couldn't talk about the environment with each, but each is a leader. I hope that you can learn from each of them, and if they're in your field, work with them. Whether you're a dog person or not, you will learn from Shana's passion for dogs. She shares her story of recognizing one's passions, hers in particular, and building a life business around it. It sounds simple or even obvious after the fact, but you have an equal passion. If you haven't made that thing big in your life, don't take for granted that Shana's choice was so obvious to her. If you listen carefully, you'll hear, I believe, that she had to work. She had to reach where she'd make a living on her passion. You can still hear the forces, internal and external, distracting her from her focus. It's so easy to say, oh, it's easy for her. She knew her passion, but she didn't until she did, which is the same as anyone. Most people want to live with that kind of passion. So let's listen to her. Oh, and you have to hear her work on crickets. Even as a vegetarian, I find it fascinating. Well, welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. I'm Joshua Spodek, and this is Shana Yadid. Hi, thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. And, you know, all right. When we spoke before this, and I told you one of the things that I do on the podcast is I ask people about their environment, what it means to them. Some people are like, mm, I'm not sure I want to talk about that. Some people are like, okay, that sounds interesting. And some people are like, look at me. Look at the, this is what I do. This is what I care about. This is what I love. And, uh, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold off on that for a second because I want to know more about you and let people learn more about you. Uh, when I looked you up before, okay, people can like dogs because they're cute. And your dogs are really, uh, the pictures that I saw online were like really, so everyone, uh, we'll, we'll give the, we'll, why don't we give the URL right now? Uh, well, so my website, I've got sustainablerescue.org and yadidditdog.training. And that one is Y-A-D-I-D-I-T-D-O-G dot training. And you, you and dogs is not just cute. It's more than that, right? Definitely more than that. Uh, dogs to me are life force energy they are healing they are companionship they are sustainable communication and interpersonal relationships they mean a lot to me now that doesn't mean you have to start a business in it It doesn't mean you have to make it sustainable that is correct um well so i was a pet sitter and a babysitter for kind of just side work uh on and off from middle school through leaving college due to traumatic experiences, realizing it was just not for me. So I moved, I went back to my roots and I was pet sitting and babysitting and just kind of trying to find my way. And one of the people I was pet sitting for introduced me to the book Animals in Translation, Using the Mysteries of Autism to Decode Animal Behavior by Temple Grandin, who is a woman who's on the spectrum, who has revolutionized the livestock industry, talking about the environment and just like helping uh, the world be a better place. She's like my idol. And her book taught me so much about myself and how much uh, the way I think isn't 
crazy, it's just different. Uh-huh. And she was the first person to really show me that in her book. And within two weeks of finishing that book, I was enrolled in dog training school because I realized working with dogs was just not enough. I needed to learn their communication style because a lot of it already came naturally to me and I wanted to discover more. That's really what it was. It was about discovery and communication and learning my own flaws in interpersonal communication by way of learning body language and working with dogs. So I'm picturing um, in in business school, we had this video of this guy, Monty Roberts, who was, he would train horses using virtually, like he wouldn't, he, he wasn't breaking horses. He was training them in a very, he would communicate with them. He actually was able to do it with deer out in the wild. And I'm picturing, is that what you, are you really connecting with animals in a way that like, it's not some, um, what's it, woo thing. It's like, you really, it's more in touch, more picking. Right. Yeah. Tell me so more. I, I've always had a connection with animals since I was a little kid. I actually, the picture that comes to mind is in my, uh, a video that we have out on Vimeo, the did a sustainable rescue video. And, uh, it's I'm a little girl about five years old in a pink bathing suit, holding a frog. This big bullfrog in both my hands. It was way bigger than my hands should be able to hold. And I had watched an adult try to catch this frog for about 40 minutes before I finally just walked up on the frog and picked it up and just said, here, see? Because he was trying to catch it in a bucket because he didn't want to touch it. (laughs) And that was kind of the first time my mom realized, like, wow, she really is gifted, like, in communicating with animals. They just get her. And uh, growing up in New York City, you don't have a lot of access to animals. So I kind of, other than dog sitting for people in my building, I didn't have really anywhere to go to learn these skills. It wasn't even something that would have occurred to me until I left college because that wasn't for me and found my way back to it. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I got a little bit well, so what, lost on the question. Well, I was, I was also thinking of like... Um, I'm trying to imagine a picture you with an animal and oh, what right. the interaction the is like. Got it. I'm yes. also curious what service you provide to people because it feels like you want to bring this to others. And it's, it, I'm reading, correct me if I'm wrong, this is a very satisfying interaction to have with animals. It is. And actually, I'm going to reference one of my most recent students. Um, her name is Amber, and her dog's name is Nala. And Amber actually recently helped me describe what I do for people better than I think I've done in the past. Uh, my certification is obedience trainer. I teach dogs basic obedience. So I teach them to sit and lay down and roll over whatever you want them to know. What I've created in my company is a rescue trauma rehabilitation program of sorts. So really, the obedience training is just one of the many tools that I use to help to communicate new neuropathways to the dog when they're having a response to something that is clearly some kind of PTSD based on something that may have happened to them in their past. Mm -hmm. So these things, because I am a trauma survivor and I deal with my own PTSD and of that connection that I've always had with animals, it's more obvious to me than most people when a behavior isn't what it seems to be. And I'm then able to use the obedience as a tool to help shift what the dog is doing in a moment so that we end up with the right results and the people end up happy and the dog ends up really understanding what we want of them. And there's a, we eliminate that frustration in the communication because oftentimes 
what happens with people and their dogs is we think we're saying one thing mm -hmm. and we're actually saying something else and then we just get frustrated when the dog isn't listening. Come here, come here, come here. And the dog's like, that person looks angry. I don't want to go over there. Exactly. Oh, coming when called is literally the most self-rewarding behavior. Uh, well, self-rewarding not to come for most dogs until uh -huh. somebody like me comes in and shows them how to reprogram how the dog thinks about coming when called because I'm able to explain to them, well, would you want to come when called if yeah. every time you came it ended playtime? That doesn't sound like fun. Mm -hmm. how, much um, you, how much you, I, you, did you get this a lot? How much of, how much of it is training the dog? How much of it is training the owner? So <laughs> I do get it a lot and uh -huh. I tend to leave that to them. So I don't say anything about it until the people point it out. But I'll be teaching them and I'll be showing them things with their dog and they go, I see. So really it's about training us. And I go, well, I wasn't going to say it until you did, but yeah, about 80% of my job is teaching people. And I guess it's teaching. I guess it's also showing them if, if they hired you enough, eventually you would be, they would reach the, be able, they'd be able to communicate and interact with animals as you do. Yes. I, I suppose there's only so much you can get in, in so many sessions, yeah. yeah. So right now, I do predominantly uh, private sessions because I don't have a location, and we mm -hmm. are fundraising to build our own sustainable location. Um, I throw the word sustainable in there because the ultimate vision is not just to be training dogs, but also to produce our own uh, dog food supplement that we grow and process on grounds to help increase the overall sustainability that I see in dogs' lives um, and in our communication with them and what we can do for them as their humans. So now let's switch over to what we started to talk about downstairs earlier. Um, what do you think about the environment? What do you think about? What, what, you don't have to throw sustainability in there. Well, that's my word, though. So what... Why is that my word? Sustainability means a lot of things to me. Sustainability means environmentally. Sustainability means communication between people, communication between you and your animal. Sustainability means revenue. It means the ability to run a business and keep it moving forward and um, also then give back to the community by way of what I'm looking to implement, which is the sponsored adoption program for survivors of sexual trauma to receive an emotional support dog and handler course through my program. But the environment piece specifically is I realized that the things that I wanted to give my dogs to give them a healthier life were things that would allow me to create and generate an impact, not just on their lives, but on other dogs' lives and also on the environment. Because ultimately, the best thing that you can do for your dog is feed them and supplement their food with greens, fresh, cooked, whatever it is. The way I plan to do it is actually processing, like dehydrating and, and grinding it up so you can add it as a powder. Mm -hmm. um, but I just saw the capacity for what started as just dog training, mm -hmm. helping dogs. It expanded to helping people. And then I took that to helping the environment because those are the things that I know me personally and the people that I work most closely with um, as volunteers and interns with my company. Those are the things that matter to us. So I wanted to find a way to incorporate them all into my day-to-day -day life and things that I'm trying to bring to the world. I want to go into a little more depth on the environment part because you, the dog part, 
there's much more richness and depth than we got into just now. Mm-hmm. And you brought into the environment. I think you took granted that there was that we would get why, of course, you'd bring the environment in. And I think one of the things I love most about doing these conversations is that. So what is the, everyone has this unique their own unique thing. Like, okay, so why you didn't have to bring the environment and you brought it in because I have an 11 year old dog uh-huh. who has severe allergies. She's got protein allergies and grain allergies and environmental allergies. This dog has allergies, itchiness to everything. Uh-huh. And I did some research and I realized that with not a whole lot of space and not a whole lot of staff, we could start producing on a very small scale initially our own cricket-based dog food formula. Mm-hmm. And crickets, the more research I did, they have a negative carbon footprint. They are incredibly um, sustainable in the reproduction cycle. Mm-hmm. They are incredibly hypoallergenic for the dogs in terms of a protein. And actually, pound for pound compared with beef, their nutritional value is off the charts. Mm -hmm. So I saw the opportunity, again, for me to be able to help my dogs and help these these beings that have helped me grow in myself and and as a person and help me rediscover my confidence Mm -hmm. after my traumas and just life kind of knocking me down time and time again because sometimes that's what life does and I realized that I had to find a way to to really give them the nourishment that I thought was ideal and also nourish the environment and thus nourishing myself because I feel so good kind of about what I'm able to give to the world Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm just kind of looking for like an army of people that, that believe in creating that change both for their dogs for themselves and for the environment i did interview a woman who has a cricket company for people food and yeah it's the i don't know but it was uh it seems to be really all of the things you said it's becoming very popular with people food i can safely say that my personal drive with this is definitely geared more towards my dogs Uh i identify as kosher-tarian so i don't eat all that much meat anyway can't say that I've totally wrapped my head around the cricket thing yet, but I've heard that they're really quite tasty. I'm happy to feed them to my dogs and make an impact that way, though. So I'm still about the environment. You're saying all the things that you're doing, and that's what most people talk about. I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. Usually, Why does it matter? Not why does it matter. What drives it in the first place, usually for a lot of people, it's like a memory or it's, it's often like an image. It's not a logical thing. It's what starts it. So it started back to that frog story that I told you Uh that took place at a family friend's house up in Fishkill, New York, when I was really young. And we used to spend at least a few days there almost every summer through elementary school at their house. And they had what I called the secret vegetable garden. It was not by any means a secret, but it was about, I want to say, four to five times the size of this room, Uh fenced in, little raised beds, just vegetables through and through. They had like an orchard off on one side. They had a pond. It was just a beautiful property. But I spent an obscene amount of time in that vegetable garden just by myself, walking, sitting with the plants. Their dog would usually be hanging out with me. And just eating and like 
literally sitting with the plants. I don't really know how else to describe that. I've always enjoyed nature. Green is my favorite color, and I just love being around it. And that vegetable garden was like my sacred garden when I went there in the summer. So I wanted to find a way to really recreate that for myself in within the structure of doing more for the world. So in that sense, are you sort of gardening in, in, in your life in a, in a kind of generalized sense? Am I reading that right? Farming, gardening, doing what I can to reduce the carbon footprint while also sustaining myself. So as a survivor of sexual traumas, often I have run into things that have thrown me for emotional loops over the years. And one of the things that I've really struggled with before starting my business was the duality of I work so hard, I work every day, and I can barely afford to feed myself healthy food. There was a point when I first got my dog training certification and I was working for Petco where I could barely afford to feed myself Kraft Mac and cheese every day, like the little the little cups. And... Which I presume you're distinguishing from healthy food. <laughs> oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's, I mean, I apologize if that wasn't a given. But yes, we are distinguishing the Kraft Mac and Cheese cups that you make in the microwave from healthy food. And um, when I moved to North Carolina, I was initially living on this property that was 29 acres. And I had thought back to that time when I was unable to afford even the grossest food, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, like in terms of level of nutrition, not gross, like there's anything wrong with it, it tastes delicious, you know, but my body knew that I was not giving it the nutrients and, and the best care that it deserved. And when I moved to North Carolina, I was living on this big property that used to be a farm. And I met some people that knew about gardening more so than I did and started just showing me the ways and talking about their garden and I got to visit their gardens and see what what kind of impact it had on their lives and how much I enjoyed being around it and I had to find a way to work it into my life and basically I was sitting with my dogs one day and I was looking at my honey, my 11 year old who's my, my itchy mess uh-huh. and Honestly, there's just really no other way to say it than it was just kind of like a aha epiphany kind of moment. I was like, oh my God, I can have like my, my Zen place mm-hmm. and give back to these creatures that are the love of my life and give better futures to other rescue dogs that otherwise might be subjected to Purina or Pedigree or whatever gross kibble dog foods there are out on the planet. So let me see if I'm getting it. Get it. Bring it all together. In your childhood, you had this garden that you spent a lot of time in, and it was, I'm reading, it was peaceful and harmonious and, um, and connected to something really wholesome. And there was almost always a dog. And what? And there was almost always a dog. And there was almost always a dog. And then, as you, and then later in life, that was gone, but you were able to... I, I, I said you're gardening, but it's not so much that you're gardening, but you're cre- I feel like you're creating a context to restore what was what was there. Yes. For and yourself and for others, for, for the dogs, for your clients, or do you call them clients or customers? Or? A little bit of both. It okay. just depends on the day. <laughs> um, usually 
clients. But uh, it all comes back to my personal trauma and adopting my first dog. So I adopted my first dog, Ember, who I say she's mommy's burning Ember. She keeps the flame alive. Uh, And she helped me learn how to control my emotions when she needed me to. So she was severely reactive to other dogs. Mm-hmm. She was a little crazy. She was my little Cujo. And I made it a thousand times worse before I ever made it better because my anxiety was so high about her freaking out mm-hmm. that she would freak out more. It was a preemptive strike. And in working with Ember and growing with Ember and all these things, I realized that I was healing my own trauma and that dog training and the leadership skills associated with dog training is a really good tool to facilitate healing and growth and rediscovery of inner strength and self-confidence. And that's what happened for me. And I've actually since reproduced this in a number of my just dog training students because I am fairly intuitive and I've met a number of people that, you know, people don't share uh, stories of their sexual traumas too willingly necessarily, but... I'm very open about mine Mm -hmm. and I have found that creating that safe space where I talk about my trauma, it leads to other people sharing their stories with me. And then even when I'm just their dog trainer, I have been able to help them in ways that I never thought I would have been doing when I just started, you know, my dog training certification program and becoming a dog trainer. That wasn't exactly how I thought my life was going to play out, you know? But I started to see the capacity that my platform was giving me, and I knew that I wanted to share that experience in a more tangible way with people, not just as the dog trainer that happens to help with confidence and and inner strength and and healing trauma. I'm guessing that some of your clients walk away feeling like, okay, now I know how to train my dog better. And some of them walk away like, I had no idea that... Like the life is, I, I I can't pick the direction, but it's probably in some qualitative difference, not some quantitative. Like I, I, I know a little bit more about dogs. It's I know a lot more about myself in the context of relationships with dogs, people, earth. Dogs teach us skills relating to interpersonal communication that I feel like get lost in the human world. Dogs naturally speak body language. Mm-hmm. Humans do too, but they forgot. And tone and volume and... Tone, volume, uh, mannerisms. I catch microfacial expressions on people's faces that they sometimes don't even know that they've had because I'm always watching those things. Mm -hmm. And I was, even before I was a dog trainer, just to help me hone those skills. And actually back to Amber and Nala, she basically said, I thought I was hiring a dog trainer, Uh but really she's helping rehabilitate my dog's trauma. I have a nine-year, she has a nine-year-old, Nala's nine-year-old pit bull rescue that she just adopted, and she has severe separation anxiety. And I actually am a level one Reiki uh, energy healer as well as of uh, the past year or so. And I've started incorporating that into my training as well because I was already, like I said, kind of intuitive and understood the body language. And now by using the energy work in it too, I really do feel almost more like a, rescue healer and trainer more so than I just feel like oh I'm just a dog trainer but I'm still 
coming into that persona in within my business and even trying to kind of revamp some of my services to really reflect that because essentially my student left me a review and I looked at her and I said, I think you did a better job describing to people in your review what I do for you than, than I did. And I think that there's something to be said for that. Uh, sometimes you don't always know how you do what you do in the bed. Like you don't know how to convey it to your clients always. They sometimes can tell you what you've done for them. And that's always a better depiction. I'm curious how you will describe yourself in five years, both or two years or one year. I mean, it sounds like your growth trajectory is fast. Not fast. I mean, you're, you're growing and learning in this process as well. Oh, definitely. And it doesn't sound like you're on the beaten track. I can safely say I've never been on the beaten track. Yeah, well, I mean, what you're doing is like, it, it doesn't sound like what anyone's doing. And, but it sounds like valuable to a lot of people. Uh, I think given the current political climate, especially, what I'm trying to do is so needed right now. And that's why I came to this event, to be totally honest. I could not stand to see one more Facebook post about women's bodily autonomy coming into question, knowing that I could help people that I know are equally triggered to how I've been feeling recently because of their own experiences and not have my voice heard that I'm here to help. So the most deep, meaningful way that I feel you connect with people is through helping them with their dogs. Is there also, um, if we go to watch your videos or are there other, can we get that? Not, if I don't have a dog, I don't have a dog, right. <laughs> but I want to get this. I was, um, the way I started my business was I was a participant in the first launch Durham cohort, which is a sponsored business program. I was chosen of 14 business owners out of about 220 or so to participate in the sponsored business program that was going to take us to making a livable income. That was kind of the, the selling point of this business program. And to be honest, a business school, business program seemed pretty inaccessible to me personally when I got accepted into this. And uh, recently, what I've kind of become as a result is when I got accepted into the program, I said, okay, I'm going to be the poster child. I want people to know that there are avenues to help entrepreneurs further themselves and further their careers and really break out of the nine to five world. Mm -hmm. I want people to know, and I want people to know that I did it. And if I can do it, anybody can do it. Um, and I've had a number of speaking engagements where I, I kind of am almost feeling like I'm a little bit between dog trainer, motivational speaker. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's not necessarily because I think I have anything that great to say what I have is tangible, relatable experience. And I think that that's more valuable to people than a, a lot of people in my position know until they've gone out and heard some of the feedback that I've, that I've gotten from other small business owners or even people that have made it a lot further than I have in their careers and in their businesses, just because, well, my motto, my, my so, theory is that business is how well you handle adversity. And I just talk about my adversity and I talk about how I overcame it and how I continue to overcome it every day. This is a very empowering message that we're closing on. I, I, th I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. 
Uh, I feel like half an hour is hard to scratch the surface, but hopefully we can meet again. I look forward to it. Shannon, thank you very much. Thank you, Josh. I really appreciate it. You too.